Welcome to the Ohio District UPCI Podcast. The following message is titled, Helmets Must Be Worn at All Times, and was spoken by Devin Akers at the Ohio District Senior High Camp. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about the Ohio District, visit us at ohiodistrict.com. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I laid in my room last night and I began to pray over this service this morning. This morning I was praying and God just renewed a sense of burden inside of me. And I feel it weighing heavy in my spirit this morning that by the time we leave here that God's going to commission people to go. Because I love youth camp. But youth camp is meaningless if we don't take it to a world that's lost. If we don't take it to broken people. God did not give me this gift so that I could hoard it and hold it. God gave me this gift so that I could give it freely to somebody else. And I feel in my spirit today that God's about to commission somebody to go and to reach and to seek and to save and to pull out of the fire. I feel that in my spirit. And I'm praying that that would emanate and it would be imparted this morning. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came for one purpose. To seek and to save the lost. That was it. That was His mission. That's why. That's why He went to the extent that He went to. For a few moments, I want to preach on this topic. Helmets must be worn at all times. Helmets must be worn at all times. Put your Bibles down. Pray with me right now. Pray that God would just speak to your heart. And I want you to lean in and hear what I've got to say this morning. Jesus, we love you and we feel you in this place, God. Your spirit is permeating through this room, God, right now. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bind up every distraction. I pray, God, that you would move in because, Lord, what we need to hear today is something that's going to put a burden in our spirit It's something that's going to shake us and stir us, God. It's something that's going to move us forward, God. I pray right now that, Lord, your spirit would just move in this room, God. And that in the name of Jesus, when we leave, we leave with power. We leave with passion. We leave with a burden. We leave commission to go. I speak that in the name of Jesus. Clap your hands if that's what you want. Come on, give God praise for a moment. Jesus, we want that today. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. The White Helmets. The White Helmets is an organization made up of around 4,000 volunteers. The White Helmets have made rescuing civilians caught in the middle of airstrikes in Syria their primary mission. They respond to multiple bomber airstrikes each day all across the war-torn cities of Syria. Their humanitarian efforts were filmed in a short documentary called The White Helmets. You can see that on Netflix. In fact, in 2016, it took the world by storm. Throughout the documentary, hours and hours of interviews with the volunteers that are a part of the organization were taken and edited down to just a few powerful moments. You see, the majority Islamic country and organization has become a place of horrific violence and divided governments. In the wake of this division, 
are left as civilians, of which represent all types of people. The White Helmets have worked to rescue and save thousands and thousands in their efforts, including many women and children. Although they've saved many civilians, the workers have to do everything within them to keep morale high. Because in the midst of so much death and pain and destruction, they've got to have a sense of faith in the mission that what they do is worth it, that their mission is worth it, that what they've been called to go to and to be a part of is worth it. In the interviews, the workers, you can hear sort of a common language among them, even though they've been interviewed separately. When they're asked, why would you sacrifice so much? Why would you risk your own life every single day to try to save someone else? You can hear the common answer. One said this, each human being, no matter who they are or what side they're on, if they need our help, it's our responsibility to save them. The very next scene documents that same man and his team running into a building just minutes after it's been decimated and broken down by an airstrike, screaming the words, is there anybody that needs rescuing? Is there anybody that needs help in this place? Another would state, when I'm on rescue, I try as hard as possible to rescue everyone under the rubble, whether they're young or old. I consider them in that moment to be my own family. The mission of the White Helmets is not a complex one. They save lives that would otherwise be lost. They save lives that would otherwise perish. One volunteer responded to a question about how he deals with so much death and brokenness on a daily basis. He stated that the death is undoubtedly the hardest part of what he does. But he's also seen so many rescued that it gives him the aptitude to keep moving forward, the courage to keep going. As he was trying to explain why he would continue to be on mission every day and leave his three-month-old daughter behind, walk out of his doors to go save other people's children, he said, let me explain it to you like this. He said, I'll never forget the day that we ran into a building that had been completely destroyed and broken. He said the workers were looking around at each other, the rescuers were looking around at each other, and we all knew that there's no way that anybody made it out of this airstrike. There's no way that anybody's alive in this building or what was once a building. He said, but then in the walls that had caved in, we heard a faint cry of a baby. And he said, we got closer and closer. And as we heard that baby crying, he said, something kicked in on the inside of us. He said, we started moving rubble. We started moving rocks. We started moving every shard of glass that we could. And he said, for hours and hours, we worked toward that cry. Hours later, it was a miracle 
There was just enough space in the caved-in walls that that baby was laying there. And he said when we finally pulled that baby out, it had the dust all over its face. It had blood on its ears. We lifted it up and we heard the cries of the rescuers because we realized in that moment that one life is worth giving up everything for. That one life is worth laying it down for. You see, this morning, I think it's obvious to see where I'm going, is that if the white helmets and earthly organization are willing to give up everything for temporary life, which is honorable, how much more should the church and this generation be willing to give up everything to reach a lost and broken soul, which is eternal? Can I tell you, there's more value in one soul than all of the riches of the world. To Jesus Christ, one lost individual is worth more than anything that you could accumulate on this earth. And to the church today and to this generation, we've got to remember that lost people are still needing to be saved. That there are people that are dying and they're going to hell, which is a reality. But we can stand in the gap and we can be the church and we can be the mission and we can be the ones that reach and pull them out of a devil's hell and pull them out of the fire that they're in people may write them off people may look at them and say it's just a heroin addict it's just somebody that's stuck on alcoholism it's just an unwed mother but it's more than that to Jesus Christ to Jesus Christ that one individual is worth everything can I tell you that's why he hung up on a cross he came to seek and to save the lost and today he's left his body still working and moving in the earth today that's you and I we're his hands we're his feet we're his heart here on earth. We are the spiritual white helmets. We are the ones that stand in the gap for lost people. We're the ones that are called to be the first responders in the midst of sin when hearts are broken. We have the answer for every spiritual wound. We have the answer for the broken. We're the boots on the ground. When everything goes wrong, when people have done what they shouldn't have done, when they split their families, when they're, when they're in the midst of divorce, when they went back to the sin, we're the ones that reach out with mercy and with love and say God can still move in you. I don't care if the world has written you off. I don't care if society Society says you're worthless. God says you're worth everything to him. We're the ones that respond to the broken. We're the ones that have the mission. We're the ones that are led by the Spirit of God every single day to go, to go, to go. We've got to have compassion for the lost. we got to have compassion for the lost. we got to have compassion for the broken. We've got to see people, and we've got to see more than just the outer shell. We've got to see more than their brokenness. We've got to see more. We've got to be able to discern that these people need God. These people need what I have. These people need the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. I love youth camp. I love feeling the Holy Ghost. But can I tell you, outreach is not an event. Outreach is not a moment. This is a life that you live. And when you leave this place, you're going to leave recharged. You're going to leave in your right mind. You're going to leave with your spirit aligned but when you leave this place that's when the most important thing happens you've got to go from this place and you've got to take what God has given you and you've got to disperse it into the world you've got to reach your lost family you've got to reach your lost friends
You've got to reach this lost world. We've got to be willing to put our helmets on and go. We've got to be willing to wear a helmet and say, God, I'm never off the clock. I'm never off the mission. I'm never away from what you've called me to be. Lord, I may be a preacher in title. I may have the, the word reverend before my name whenever I write it down on a piece of paper. But all of that is meaningless if I'm not reaching the lost. Can I tell you today that I've preached behind pulpits and I love it and I'm appreciative of every opportunity to preach behind a pulpit. But there's still nothing more fulfilling than sitting across at a table from someone and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and watching the revelation hit their eyes that they don't have to die lost. They don't have to go to hell. They don't have to live in addiction. They don't have to live in brokenness, but God has redemption for them. Jesus, we don't get a day off. We don't get to take a day off. See, the problem is we've turned outreach into a moment. We've turned outreach into getting people into the four walls of the church. I just invite people to church. That's not living on mission. You should do that, but that's not the definition of living on a mission. Living on a mission is looking at people in the eyes and being able to discern that they need God right now. They need a friend. They need somebody to speak truth to them. They need somebody to go the extra mile. They need somebody to invest in their lives and change them. They need somebody with a helmet on. You ever been to a construction site? You'll see a sign. You can throw it up there if you want to. Warning. You must wear helmets at all times. What that sign says is that there's never a moment on this construction site that you take your helmet off. There's never a moment where you're able to say, you know what, I'm going to set this to the side for a moment and work on me. There's never a moment, I don't care if you're eating lunch, if you're on this construction site, you've got your helmet on. See, because if you have your helmet off, you may not be ready for the moment. Something may fall apart, something may happen, and you don't have time to be reactionary. It's just got to be a part of who you are. See, there's a difference in responding and living on mission. I don't want to just respond to something. I want to live on mission. I don't want to just react to something. I want it to be a part of who I am. I want to be able to sit down at the restaurant and when the waiter or the waitress comes up, I can feel the hurt. I can feel the brokenness. I can feel the pain. The helmet's already on. And so I reach out and I try to make a difference. Jesus, help me right now. This is not a program. This is not a moment. And look, people will look at me and they'll say, but Pastor Devin, what you don't understand is I'm going back to a church. We only got four or five people in our youth group and our church doesn't have this resource and our pastor doesn't do this. And we that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you personally. You've got to have a made up mind. You've got to have a deep conviction. I don't care if you go to the smallest church or the biggest church in Ohio. This is about you as an individual putting your helmet on every day that you walk into your school this school year there ought to be a passion inside of you that says God give me an opportunity to reach somebody that doesn't look like me give me an opportunity to reach somebody who's broken give me an opportunity to speak the word of life to them I'm not taking my helmet off let me tell you something about halfway through the school year when the youth camp fades away and the feeling's gone you better have a made-up mind I'm not taking my helmet off I'm gonna live this year with purpose I'm going to reach somebody. I'm going to seek and save. 
I'm going into a broken place. I'm going into a place where they need the word of God. I'm going to preach it. It may not be behind a pulpit. It may be at a lunch table. But I've got what they need. Jesus, I don't plan a church because it's glamorous. I plan a church because God called me to. We didn't start churches because it's glamorous. There were other ministry opportunities. But God called us to a city. Can I tell you, last night I laid in my bed. I get just a few days away from the Raleigh-Durham area. And I'm telling you, it happens every time. God puts a burden on my shoulders and I miss it. I long to get back in that atmosphere and reach somebody. I long to get back to my city and find somebody. I long to feel that burden. I long to look at somebody in the eyes and know that God's given me what they need. I longed for it. I laid in my bed last night and tears flowed down. I said, God, let that burden flow tomorrow. Let that burden flow through those students tomorrow that they get such a burden for their school that when they lay down at night, tears begin to flow down their faces because they can see the people that need your word. They can see the fellow students that are dying lost and the passion grips them to a point where it changes the way that they live. I was laying in my bed in California a couple of years ago when we, had, when we were about to start the church. My dad called me. He said, Devin, he said, Jeremy Turner just overdosed and died. Jeremy Turner came to church a few times. I didn't know Jeremy Turner well. I remember one time he drove by my house. He got out. He asked me for money. I was mowing my lawn. I, I was frustrated. I'm not going to lie. Asked me for money. I'm out here working. What are you doing? Why are you, why are you pulling up on my lawn? Went in, I got him some money, I gave it to him. He drove off. I didn't know Jeremy well. I didn't know, I didn't know his backstory. All I know is when my dad called me that day, it was almost like, and, and this is not an indictment on my father, this is just how well we knew him. When he told me, it was like he told me in passing, like, oh, do you remember? Yeah, he, he overdosed. I, I don't know. I got off the phone that night, and I lay in that bed in that hotel room, and he asked my wife. Something got a hold of me. And tears started flowing down my face. And I said, God, why am I so affected? I didn't even know this man. He, he wasn't somebody I was personally connected to. I, I'd only met him on a couple of occasions. But I felt the burden that God feels when one lost soul dies and slips into eternity. For a moment, God laid that on my shoulders because one lost soul, one broken person, I don't care what the external looks like. They mean more to God than you could ever understand or know. I felt the burden, and I began to pray, God, move me. Move me for the lost. Move me for the broken. Move me for the hurting. And there ought to be something inside of you that when one student commits suicide in your high school or in your region, that it moves you to a place of compassion where you say, God, not another, not on my watch, not while I stand here. God, send me to the broken. Send me to the rubble. Send me to the place that's decimated by sin. And I'll stand in the gap. I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to pray that a burden would fall in this place right now. Jesus, I speak in your name right now, God. I want you to cry out for your school. I want you to begin to speak in the name of Jesus and a spirit of intercessory prayer would move on you and that it would move you to an action. It would move you to a place where you change the way that you walk and talk. Jesus. 
Jesus. Jesus. You're leaving this place different. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. You're leaving this place different. There's going to be something that moves and shifts inside of you. You're, mo you're moving different. You're walking different. You're talking different. Because you're moving with the lens of the Holy Ghost. With compassion. Be seated for a moment. We can't stop. We can't stop. The Bible says in Acts 14, 16 through 20. That the disciples had frustrated the governments so, so badly. That the city council comes to them. And they say, just leave our city. Just leave. Stop performing miracles that we cannot deny. Stop making a difference in our culture. Stop it. And they looked back and they said, you tell me, should we worry about what you say or what God says? We cannot but speak the things that God has done. What they were saying to that council before them that could have killed them and taken their lives was that there's something inside of us that we can't help ourselves. We've got to talk about Jesus. It just oozes out of us. It's just the overflow of our lives. We have to talk about him. You can kill us if you want to, but it's not even voluntary. It's the oil that flows out of us. And we've got to speak to somebody. We've got to tell them about the miracles. We've got to tell them about what he's done. You know what you need? You need to get attached to your personal testimony enough to where it changes you. If you could understand where God brought you from, then you'd want him to do it for somebody else. This is not an ordinary salvation. This is the greatest miracle. This is the greatest thing that's ever been given to mankind. When you sing in your choir, when you stand on your platform, when you teach those, that classroom with just kids, whenever you're commissioned by your student pastor to do something, always do it with your helmet on. There's no small ministry. There's no small job. Well, I just went back. I've never preached behind a pulpit. I just had a small group. You ought to teach that small group with your helmet on and say, God, tonight you've given me influence over three people and I'm praying, God, for those three people that I'd be able to stand in the gap because the odds are somebody's lost and broken. And so, Lord, if this is my sphere of influence, I pray that I would take it seriously. I pray, God, that you'd help me to be a mediator. I pray, God, that you'd help me to wear my helmet. John 5, 6. Jesus always wore a helmet. Jesus always lived on mission. The Bible says he looked at his disciples and he said, we must needs go through Samaria. His disciples said, why in the world would we go through Samaria? That's where the stinking Samaritans live. They're the worst. They're half-breeds. Our prejudice says that they're not worth it. Our prejudice says that they have no value. Our prejudice says that this is a ridiculous way to go. In fact, most Jews would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. But Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I must needs go through Samaria. The Bible says that when he got there, he was tired and he was hungry. And he sat by a well and being weary in his body, a woman walked up to him and the helmet was already on when she walked up to him and began to speak. In fact, the Bible says, let me reverse that, that he walked up to her. 
He said, woman, get me a drink of water. She said, why are you even talking to me, being a Jew and me a Samaritan? He began to prophesy and speak over her life. By the time the conversation was over, she began running into the city, speaking the things in the mercy of Jesus Christ because he was always on mission. Always had a helmet on. But I want you to note the fact that the Bible says that he was tired. He was weary. In his body, he hungered. In his flesh, he needed something. But that went secondary, and what was primary was the mission. The Bible says that he began to speak to her in that moment of weariness. And let me tell you something. You'll get really tired in this life sometimes. You'll get really frustrated in your walk with God. You'll go through dry seasons. You'll go through places where you're wondering, God, why can't I fill you in this season? That's when you've got to not live on emotion, but you've got to live on revelation. That God, I've got this established in me because everybody gets tired. Everybody goes through frustrating seasons. Everybody has moments. And as you progress in your ministry and in your walk with God, you'll have those moments. But there's got to be something inside of you that refuses to take the helmet off. Even when you're tired. Because the Bible says that when the disciples got back, they looked at him and they got french fries in their mouth. Jesus, we got some food for you. He said, I've got food that you don't even know about. I'm not even hungry. What are you talking about, Jesus? You just said that you were tired. You just said that you were thirsty. You just said that you were hungry. But by the time Jesus got done ministering and reaching out, he was filled with a spiritual blessing. Can I tell you, God will take that weariness and that hunger. And if you'll begin to serve, and if you'll begin to reach, and if you'll begin to pull people out of the pit of hell, it will fortify and revitalize you. The reason we have tired youth groups and tired students is because they've got a consumer mentality mentality in the church and they're asking what can the church do for me what can the church give me when's the next event you don't need another event you need to go reach the lost and watch God fill your spirit with a fire that changes you you don't need another event you don't need another pizza party you don't need another social you don't need another classroom you need to go out and reach somebody who's broken I don't need another lock-in that's great. I'm fine with that. But that's not what my student pastor's there for. My student pastor's there to remind me. And student pastors, I'm challenging you this morning. Don't you dare let your youth group live without a mission. Don't you dare create this as a calendar. Don't you dare just do events but not push your students to go and to reach the lost. That's the only thing that's going to fill you. That's the only thing that's going to revitalize you. That's the only thing that'll take that hunger and fill it. Jesus, you may be seated. Jesus looked at his disciples that day. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Jesus looked at his disciples that day. And that's when we get this scripture, a very famous scripture. He says to them, look up. Somebody say look up. For the fields, they're white and ready to harvest. Look up. One of the primary voices in my life in this season, I believe it will be for a very long time, is a missionary to the Middle East, an apostolic missionary to the Middle East. Once a week, I try to reach out as difficult as it is to communicate. He reaches out to me, and I try to keep that voice in my life because he lives his life on mission. Any moment, his family could die. 
Any moment his family could be persecuted for what they believe. But he lives his life on mission. And here I am in the 21st century America. Freedom of religion. Freedom of expression. And I'm trying to figure out how do I emulate what he's doing. Anybody dealt with that before? How do I emulate what he's doing? He looked at me and he began to explain to me this scripture. He said, Devin, he said, notice how Jesus told his disciples to look up. The first thing that they had to do is they had to elevate their perspective. He said, look up for the fields are white with harvest. What he was talking about that day to his disciples were the Samaritans, the people that were written off, the people that before they didn't think would ever have salvation or the gospel, that they didn't think the kingdom were, was ever for. These were dogs. These were people that didn't even matter. These were people that were disgusting in the eyes of the Jews. These were people that, that had no right. Jesus said, don't look down. Don't even look laterally or parallel with it. Look up. Because that's where the revival is. What you've looked down on now, you're elevating your perspective to look up at. The things that you've written off, the things that you thought were nothing, the things that you thought were the way it was supposed to be, that's not even how it's supposed to be. You've got to elevate your perspective. And this morning, there's power in an elevated perspective. There's power when you look up beyond what can the church do for me. Beyond what is the church offering me. Beyond, well, if, if she leaves, I'm leaving. Or if he goes, I'm going. Or beyond, well, we don't have this type of music. And we don't have, who cares about the program? Who cares about how good your music is? Who cares about your resources? Look up. Look above that, beyond that, and realize that there's a mission for me. That there's something that I have to do. Can I tell you, it's not about your background. I heard a story last week from a young girl in our church. She's 14 years old. I'll give you a quick background. I'm trying to hurry, but I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Just give me a moment. This young girl, her and her sister, have attended our church for, for probably five or six years now, faithfully. That little girl, last year, her father came into the house. He had already separated from their mother. He's abusive, verbally and physically abusive. He came into their house snuck in, tried to kill them, tried to murder them. They, they left the house. By the time the day was over, he had, he had hung himself in their house. This is the type of home she comes from. Should be broken, should be shattered, should be, should be completely angry at the world. But Elena is sweethearted. Every day she gets up, she puts her skirt on, she puts her shirt on, she walks into a public school and she lives a holiness lifestyle. Twice as good as some of the third and fourth generation apostolics that are in our church. But she lives it. And she loves it. Their dryer was broken. It's been broken for several weeks. She was telling us this. And she said, I went to, I went to the laundromat. Me and my sister, we had saved our money. And we were going to do our laundry. Because our, our mom is too prideful to go and, and reach out to somebody to get it fixed. And she said, we saved our money. And we went to the laundromat. And she said, I keep my money in an envelope and, and we were almost finished with our laundry. It was in the dryers. And she said, I had, I had 75 cents in that envelope. I went to, a, I went to the, the snack machine and I got a bag of Doritos. She said, the bag of Doritos got stuck. And she said, a little old lady came up to me. And she said, me and that little old lady, we started rocking. Anybody ever done that? Normally old ladies don't help you do that. But this little old lady was cool, I guess. She said, we started rocking that thing. Finally, the bag of Doritos fell. What a miracle. 
Won't he do it? She said, but that old lady went back to her seat. She said, I was eating my Doritos. She said, God started dealing with me. She said, I looked over. and She said, something just, and she was explaining it, and she didn't even know how to articulate it. She said, I don't know what I felt. She said, but I went back to my notebook that I take notes in. Every single service she sits and she takes notes, and she writes out scriptures. And she said, I found one scripture that I felt like would help that lady. And she said, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And she said, I, I put our church's name. And, and, and she said, I put that scripture down. And she said, I took $3 out of my envelope. And she said, I placed it in that envelope. And she said, I didn't want it to insult her. I didn't want it to, 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 to seem like less than. She said, it's just what I felt, it's what I had. She said, I took that envelope. She said, I handed it to that lady. She said, I don't know if it made a difference. Can I tell you when I heard her speak that? That's it. That's it. You, you say, well, I don't, know how to, I, don't know to, I don't know how to do what you're talking about. That's how you do it. You're led of God. You say, that lady came to church the next Sunday and got the Holy Ghost and got back. No, she did it. We haven't seen her yet. But let me tell you something. Elena at 14 is learning how to respond to the voice of God. She's learning the voice of God in her life. And the voice of God constantly sends you on mission. You say it was just a few dollars. No, 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 no. It was the courage that it took to stand and to do something. It was the courage that it took to take that money that meant so much to her. It may not mean much to you or me, but it meant so much to her. They'd saved it, and she sacrificed. And can I tell you, God is going to respond and anoint an attitude and a spirit like that. But you've got to live your life on mission. Don't ask. Well, the church, can it do this? Or can we? You do it yourself. You go yourself. You hear the voice of God for yourself. And he'll send you to go. You've got to elevate your perspective. I feel the Holy Ghost here so strong. I feel in my spirit that it's time to remember that the Bible still says in Matthew 25. That when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. The Bible says that in that moment, he's made it, he made it so clear. They said, well, when did we clothe the, the, the poor? When did, we, when did we go and visit you in prison? When did we do this, Jesus? You say we've done this. He said, when you did it unto the least of these and you've done it unto me. You know what? It may not seem like a big deal to you, Elena, taking that small act. But there was something in her spirit. And I believe when we get to the other side and it's judgment day, that God's going to be able to look her in the eyes and say, when you did it unto her, you did it unto me. You did it unto me. You poured into something greater than yourself. It's just a little old lady. It's just a small school. It's just a small church. You need to elevate your perspective and realize that it's God's church. That it's one soul. And one soul is worth it. That it's one lost student. That it's one drug addict. That it's one overdose. But if you'll elevate your perspective, you'll realize the value of the one. That if it would have just been one, he'd have still stretched his arms wide and died on a cross and if he'd do it for one how much more should I stand in the gap and realize that God you have called me in this moment and in this time I want you to stand to your feet I feel a burden moving in this place right now I feel the spirit of God speaking to somebody right now I feel a burden in this place right now Oh, Jesus. 
I remember in high school, come on, you can come down. I want you to hear me right now, though. Pay close attention. I remember in high school, God began to move on me. I want you to hear me. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. As a freshman in high school, I walked in my first day brand new. I remember it was the worst day of my life. I'd moved from another state. My dad had taken a church from the ground up, and was, we were restarting as a family. And I remember that day walking in, and it was a culture shock. I was confused. I, I thought that it was going to be easy, but the transition was awful. And people were making fun of me, and, and I just didn't understand why. I, it, was the, it was the way I looked, the way I talked. It was, it was a culture shock in my life. Something had shifted. And I remember walking out that day and saying, this is ridiculous, God. Why did why'd you send me here? Why did you do this to me? I, I don't want to be here. And then I remember standing just a week later, because our school started early, just a week later I was standing in an NAYC. And God began to speak to me through a message. I went back to my school, a message like this, a message about the mission. I went back to my school and I said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to hide. I'm not just going to run away. I'm not just going to turn away and pretend I don't exist and, and try to go under the radar. God, if you call me to this school, I'm going to do something different. Four years later, by the time it was done, we had baptized dozens and God had filled people with the Holy Ghost because he had called me to reach people, individuals. And I'm not saying that for accolades. I'm just telling you that if I can do it, you can do it. That if God can take an insecure, embarrassed young man and turn him into somebody that can reach lost and broken people, he can do it for you. You don't have to have any kind of particular talent. You just got to have a burden. But I remember pulpits opening up and I would preach. I didn't even want to preach. I was scared to preach. I would preach. And can I tell you? I did awful, absolutely awful, I mean terrible, but Anthony, Brother Anthony, you remember, the only reason I was standing behind pulpits and able to preach was because people said, Devin, we just want somebody reaching souls behind our pulpit, we just want somebody who's got a burden for the lost, and so I'd stand up behind a pulpit, and I'd preach, and I'd fumble, and I'd mess up. But by the time it was said and done, somehow God would take the burden and he would impart it to others. And can I tell you today, 15 years later, not much has changed. That when I preach, I just want a burden to be imparted to people. I just want people to feel. I just want people to feel that edge, that desire to reach somebody. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the Ohio District Podcast.